1: Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk Podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast where Mary Kay. We'll answer questions from our Football Insider subscribers about all things Jadon Clowney, NFL Draft, how the offense will look in year two. We cover it all on this podcast. Now, if you want to get involved in Football Insider and get your questions answered on this pod, all you got to do is go to cleveland.com slash Browns, click the blue banner at the top of the page, get all the information and get yourself signed up. It's not just being part of our texting service where you can get questions answered. It's also... A newsletter in your inbox every single day. It's access to stories on cleveland.com slash browns. That's what it's all about. Again, Football Insider, it's the blue banner at the top of the page at cleveland.com slash browns. The away we go here on our Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange or Brown Talk podcast. Mary Kay, let's get right to it. There were questions about Jadavian Clowney, as you would expect, and we'll just start. Noah from Cleveland asked about this. So did Joe in Hollidaysburg, Pennsylvania. Noah's question, when do you expect Jadavian Clowney to make a decision? And are any other teams in the mix?
0: You know, that's a great question. Jadavian Clowney took his time last season. I think he really wanted to be reunited with Mike Vrabel in Tennessee. And I don't exactly know what's going on with him right now. Information is very, very hard to come by. He's very private. His agent is very private. And it's very difficult to sort of figure out where his head is at. But the last I heard was that he was kind of taking his time to figure out what he wanted to do. And where he stood with everything. I think uh, what's going on is he has to get a comfort level uh, with probably the salary the Browns would like to pay him. And if he decides that he wants to play for the Cleveland Browns at that amount of money, then a deal will probably happen. If that's not the price point he sees himself at, then he'll hold out for a little bit more. Uh, The Browns, on the other hand, need to get comfortable uh, with his health. Uh, So but I I think they're there. I think they're I think they're ready to pull the trigger if he's ready. So we'll have to see where it goes.
1: So it just sort of seems like and look, this could change. Right. I mean, this could turn in an instant, but it just seems like right now, neither side is necessarily in a rush on this.
0: Yeah, that's what it seems like to me. Uh, And and Jadavian Clowney, you know, he kind of does his own thing. Uh, Last year, the Browns offered him more than anybody else did on the one-year deal and they were right in there they were very competitive on the multi-year offer and he held out and wanted to be with mike cable because that's where he felt comfortable so you know i just think he's going to do it his way and i'm not exactly sure what he's thinking right now i don't we nobody has seen anything about it right i mean like there's just mm-hmm. nothing coming out anywhere about how he's thinking or if other teams are interested or anything like that. I mean, as you can tell, most teams signed their pass rushers in free agency. Most teams that needed one were able to go out and sign the guy that they wanted, and they made a lot of money. So there's probably not a ton of opportunities. Maybe he can go back to the Titans at a certain price. Maybe that's what he is holding out for or hoping for, Uh, but they signed Bud Dupree. It'll be interesting to see how this goes over the next couple of weeks.
1: And it could be something too, if, if it doesn't happen, you know, in the next week or two, maybe it's something that plays out through the draft. If a mm-hmm. team, even the Browns, doesn't get a pass rusher they wanted in the draft, that maybe that opens up more possibilities for Clowney.
0: Yes, absolutely. You're right. They are hurtling very rapidly towards that NFL draft, which is obviously here in Cleveland, April 29th through May 1st. If they don't have them under contract by then, uh, then everybody kind of resets after the draft. You see what you have. You see if you're, I mean, maybe if, if money is an issue, maybe after the draft, maybe if the Browns kicked in a little bit more money, may, maybe that would make a difference. Not really sure yet. You know, it's, it's just definitely something to keep an eye on.
1: Okay. And this kind of goes hand in hand with our next question. This comes from Dave from Rocky River. He wants to know, hey, Mary Kay, with the quality of Browns off season, what would you rate it A through F? There's a second part to this, but I want to do the first part first.
0: Okay. You know what? I'm going to give it probably about a B minus right now, because I do think uh, I I felt all along that they probably should have just wrapped up one of those proven edge rushers and kind of just go from there, get somebody that, you know, you know you can get on a one-year deal or maybe even a two-year deal like you could with a Yannick Nagakaway. Pair him with Miles Garrett. Make sure that you're therefore going to get the best out of John Johnson and Troy Hill and some of the other new guys. I don't think that that would have prevented you from also signing Tack McKinley to the one-year deal that you signed him to. Uh, So that was something that I just thought was kind of important to do. As of right now, you're going to be counting on either a draft pick or Tack McKinley to fill that role. And I just don't know if it's going to be enough. So we'll have to see how that goes.
1: Okay. So now how would Jadavian Clowney change your grade?
0: I think that would probably bring it up to a B plus. I think it would bring it up to a B plus because once again, we don't know if he's the answer. He's coming off of a torn meniscus. If he's healthy though, I do think he can uh, be that guy that you can put over there. And he can be disruptive. He can set the edge. And I think he makes a good combo package with Tack McKinley because Tack is somebody that can go and rush the passer for you. Jadavian Clowney is somebody that can really stop the run and set that edge at an elite level. So therefore, when you're playing the Lamar Jacksons and the Kyler Murrays, you know, you can really kind of set the edge over there. And, and I think that would give them a great one-two punch with those guys opposite Miles mm-hmm. Garrett. So for me, bumps it up to a B+. Plus. Doesn't necessarily take it into the, into the, you know, maybe the Trey Hendrickson or the Bud Dupree or the Nagakaway category, but nevertheless, two for the price of one, and I think that would have been great.
1: I, I want to ask you this, because, again, this question, you know, the quality of the Browns offseason, I'm trying to figure out why this is, because I've kind of fallen victim to this a little bit. I feel like we all do. Maybe we're just all being prisoners of the moment but I really feel like we all are sort of forgetting that the draft is still happening. I know I've said that on this pod a few times. It just feels like we're just leaving out that there's still a pretty significant piece coming in this off season. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's just because the Browns aren't the stars of the draft for once? You know, they have the number 26 pick. We just don't know who's going to be there at 26. Is is that part of it?
0: Yeah, that's part of it. There is a big, huge difference in every single way between number 26 and number one. Browns fans, Browns beat writers, we're used to number one, number four, number 10, right? I mean, it's been that way for years. Now it's kind of like, eh, right? <laughs> it just has the sort of like, okay. I mean, number 26 almost feels like a second round pick, you know? It's just not what we're used to. So we just need to kind of uh, readjust our thinking because you can get a hell of a player at number 26. You will get a starter at number 26. That's the goal. And this is a deep draft. When I, when I look at this first round, you know, because it's so deep at quarterback, receiver, edge rusher, cornerback, I mean, there are going to be some really amazing choices at number 26. So it is time to get excited about that. But I think it's just so much different than knowing that you're going to get the best edge rusher in the NFL or the best quarterback in, in, in college that year or the best left tackle. Uh, it's going to be, okay, let's see how this falls to the Browns and hopefully they can come up with a dominant starter at number
1: 26. It probably also has something to do with the fact that there wasn't a combine this year. We didn't go to the senior bowl. There was, but the Combine is really kind of that big event, right? It's that event that kind of kicks everything off. It's when you sort of shift your mindset from it's the offseason to, all right, here we go. You know, it's on. We're ready to go. And now it's just sort of scattershot pro days. And I, I don't know. It's just hard to, and the college football season was weird. We're talking about guys that, some guys that didn't even play last year. It, it's just a stra- everything around the draft is so strange. But I do think at some point here, it's, it's going to hit soon, especially because it's in Cleveland.
0: Yeah, I think you're so right about the combine. I mean, that is just the time where we all dive in and it's just a goldmine of information and knowledge. I mean, you you know, you not only do you get to stand there in front of these draft prospects and ask them questions and see them face to face and get to know them a little bit and talk to them, but you also get to talk to all the general managers and all the coaches in the NFL. You kind of get a a handle on what everybody's thinking, where everybody's going. It just sets the table. And the other thing is, I also missed out on the NFL owners meetings this year, where that's another place where you get to spend one full hour at a breakfast with the NFL coaches. And it's just another just unbelievable way uh, to kind of set up free agency, to set up the draft. Also there. You talk to the team owners, you talk to the general managers. And so there's just a lot of uh, in-person interviewing that didn't happen this year that kind of sets the table for the draft. And hopefully as we move forward, it'll be a little bit more normal. Uh, But this year sort of it just felt like it was missing a little bit of something.
1: Right. And there's just something about having all those guys, you know, whatever you think about the combine testing, it's, it's different having all those guys when you're getting 40 times and you're watching these, these workouts and and all that stuff, everything is just so scattered this year We're, you know, we're still waiting for some key guys that would have been at the combine. We're still waiting to see, you know, what kind of 40 time they're going to run and all of that stuff. We did get some draft questions though. So here we go. Gary in Arizona wants to know, Hey, Mary Kay, How likely is it that the Browns trade up to the top 10 to go all out for a premier pass rusher? It seems like one more quality pass rusher is the only missing piece. So Gary in Arizona is thinking big, Mary Kay.
0: You know, I can see them trading up some because they have nine picks in this draft. They've got two in the third round and two in the fourth round. And nine rookies would be a lot to try to get onto a roster that's pretty stocked right now. Uh, So that would be a lot. I can see them packaging some of those picks and moving up some, but going from 26 to 10 would require quite a lot of draft capital. And I'm not seeing that happening now. It could happen, but it doesn't feel to me like that's in the cards just because of what it would take to get up there. Could I see them going up to 22 or 20 or 18 even maybe? I could see something like that, but I'm not really feeling a top 10, not only from the standpoint of of what it would take to get there, but the money that you would have to pay to a top 10 pick. It's just so vastly different uh, than the salaries that you're paying down in the 20s.
1: I've got to say, I did want a, um, a Browns only mock draft for my football insider newsletter. I think it was Friday or Saturday is when everybody got it. And I've got to tell you, it got hard for me to think like there's all those picks. I mean, it's, it's nine picks. It got hard, hard for me to think like, okay, who else do I need on this roster? Like you kind of just run out of, at some point I'm picking like a third cornerback in the draft. Like, do I really need another corner? It it got tough. So I would imagine that some of those picks either in a trade up or to kind of kick the can down the road a little bit on them and maybe move them into next year. I, I don't think this team is going to make nine picks.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, you just get to a certain point. Remember when they were drafting, you know, 12 and 14 guys, and you just you just don't have room anymore uh, right now on the roster for, for that many guys. As we have already said before, uh, this team is in a position now where they're letting starters have to walk out the door or let key contributors walk out the door because, you know, they are deep at some positions. Now, there's plenty of places where you can always use more guys, you know, backup tackles and offensive linemen. And, uh, you, you know, you do need that depth. And really, you're only seeking to, in a perfect world, to get starters out of rounds one, two, and three. And then you hope that you can get starters later than that. But one, two, and three is where you make your hang. Beyond that, uh, it gets a little dicey. So I wouldn't be surprised if they try to do some draft day deals.
1: Uh, another question about the draft. This one did not come with a name, but Zaven Collins seems like, a, or here we go. Hey, Mary Kay, Zaven Collins seems like a safe pick at 26, while others all have downsides. Do the Browns just go safe?
0: Yeah, you know what? After interviewing Zaven Collins, after watching some of his film and talking to people, who knows if he'll even be around at number 26. Uh, he would be, you know, a, a phenomenal pick there, I think. Uh, But he's, he's a really, really good player. He is, he's got so many great qualities and some people think that the Steelers will even look at him at number 24. He's sort of got a Steelers vibe about him and he might be a three, four outside backer kind of a guy. I don't even know if he'll be around at number 26, but if he is, he's certainly somebody that, uh, that you could plug in either at outside backer or at defensive end. And, uh, you know, with his size, and I think he can even get a little bit bigger, he might be a defensive end in the, in the NFL. I mean, he you know, that yeah. looks like, you know, he's got the, the position flexibility to do that. I like the player. I like the person. Definitely there's somebody that's got to be on their radar.
1: OK, this is a fun one. Steven from Westlake says, hey, Mary Kay, if this current coaching staff had to choose between the quarterbacks in the upcoming draft, Who do you think they would choose? So your top quarterbacks are, of course, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, probably going to go number two now, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Mac Jones. If the Browns were one of those teams sitting in that, let's say the Browns had the number one pick for whatever reason. Well, I guess they'd be looking for a quarterback. So that's a pretty good reason. Which of those guys do you think this coaching staff would prefer? I think this is a good question. I couldn't figure out an answer. I think, I mean, we've talked about it. This is such a quarterback friendly system. And all these guys have the mobility you want. I mean, you can't go wrong with a guy like Trevor Lawrence. Zach Wilson is kind of the traits guy. I don't know. Do you? Which of those guys kind of stands out to you as somebody this coaching staff might like? Well,
0: you know what? Did you see the um, the quote the other day from from Kyle Shanahan about you know what you know what he would be looking for in a quarterback?
1: I don't think I did.
0: It was an interesting quote, but he was just talking about you want to find the biggest, fastest guy that you can find that can stand there in the pocket. But I think in today's game, really the trend, as we all know, is really going towards guys that are dual threat quarterbacks and that can that can move around and that you can do so many things with them. And when the play breaks down, they can be the playmaker and, and they can make something happen. So I would think that um, that the Browns would go for Uh, more of a guy like that, maybe not necessarily the Mac Jones, but uh, you know, that maybe they do go for uh, a Trevor Lawrence, a a Zach Wilson. I mean, I think most of these guys uh, have those capabilities and, and that is what the modern NFL quarterback is, is becoming and we're, we're seeing how hard they are to defend. So I haven't really ranked the quarterbacks per se. This is a good
1: question. We don't have to.
0: (laughs) We don't have to this year. So I haven't really, in previous years, you've done it, I've done it. We study the quarterbacks to the point where we've watched We watch most of their games, right? I mean, or at least cut-ups of most of their games by now. And we really have a great feel for them. So out of these quarterbacks, who would you say is the most sort of dual threat, mobile, and has that good size? Because that's the guy I would peg for them.
1: I mean, I think they all kind of, are that's i mean that's the thing i mean you're you can't play the position anymore without having some mobility there's so few guys right i mean even like nobody's gonna look at baker mayfield and say he's this super athlete but he can move and he can throw on the run you know so i mean trevor lawrence is the easy answer he's big he can he can run i'm sure ohio state fans remember that national not the national title game, the national semifinal game a couple years ago that Ohio state lost Trevor Lawrence really kind of beat him up with his legs in, in that right. game. I mean, it's just hard to go against him, but I, I know there's a lot of love out there for Zach Wilson. I think it was it like Chris Sims who says he thinks Zach Wilson is the best of, of this group. Yeah. he's got a little Patrick Mahomes in him. So yeah. Oh, this is a really intriguing class, but if, if I had to take somebody, I guess I would play it safe and take Trevor.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's probably what I would do as well, but now I'm intrigued by this question and we'll come back maybe next week on the haze and I will, uh, I will pay a little bit more attention to which of these quarterbacks I think would sort of intrigue Kevin Stefanski the most and which one I think would fit in the system. But it's interesting that Chris Sims uh, talks about Zach Wilson in that way, because he's like super close. He is Kyle Shanahan's best friend. So, uh, you know, so for him to talk like that and with what the uh, 49ers have going now with with their uh, with their draft status up there, uh, it's very interesting to hear him talk like that and to also hear what Kyle is saying about what kind of quarterback he would be looking for. And once again, I think that is the wave of the future. And it's really kind of happened sort of quickly. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's kind of shifted since 2017, since Patrick Mahomes came in and just lit it up like that as that dual threat, Kyler Murray. I mean, it it really has, it's, it's changing very rapidly right now in terms of what people are looking for.
1: The size of, you know, the height, the stature, that that stuff doesn't seem to matter as much anymore either. It wasn't that long ago that there's no way you're going to take a, six foot quarterback number one overall but we, we've seen that change over time and then you see Baker Mayfield go number one you see Kyler Murray go number one we're seeing so much more creativity when these coaches and, and GMs are taking quarterbacks and building these systems around them it's really interesting I think the it's going to lead to a much higher success rate of these quarterbacks I think more and more are going to hit are they going to be great that's different but I think you're going to see more and more teams look at these guys and say we can win with this guy
0: yeah. And then, and, and then every once in a while you get the combo of the size and the dual threat, like a Josh Allen, right? I right. mean, I think that's the one reason when I talked to PFF, the guys from PFF, uh, I talked to Sam Monson once about grading the 2018 draft class. And he said, we completely underestimated Josh Allen's ability to move, to to run, to be that dual threat, to to rush for touchdowns, uh, to get those rushing yards. We underestimated that. So if you can find that guy that has the size, the speed, the dur- durability, the arm, the dual threat, I mean that that's the prototype. That is the prototype, and that's why you're starting to see uh, the more you know traditional type of quarterback, right? I mean, like they're kind of not in vogue right now but fortunately as you mentioned Baker Mayfield even though he's not a traditional dual threat quarterback he's so good in this system on the keepers on the bootlegs on the rollouts he's not fast but he's shifty he's agile he can step up he can get away and I think I think he counts when we're talking about being able to move and his ability to throw on the run is one of his fortés, So I think he fits into the category of the modern day quarterback.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. But his accuracy on the run is unbelievable.
0: It's amazing. <laughs> it is and amazing.
1: He's he rolls out and throws off that back foot. It's, it's unbelievable. Okay. We're going to take a break. And then we've got some more kind of general questions to throw you throw at you here on the Hey Mary Kay edition of the pod. I'm back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition. So let's get to it. Tom from Connecticut wants to know, Hey Mary Kay, what second or third year player makes the biggest jump this year?
0: Huh, That's a great question. Second or third year player that makes the biggest jump. Let me think about this for a minute. We've talked a lot about Donovan Peoples-Jones expecting to make a big jump. I think he's a candidate. So let me throw out a few names, and you can throw out a few too. Harrison Bryant should make a pretty big jump. They need Jacob Phillips to make a big jump. Yeah. They need him to. So he's one that kind of has to. And then the other one, and we talked about this on our most recent pod, is Jed Wills. And again, you know, it's it's interesting to look at some of the the rankings for him. Uh, you know, I still think that even though he had a very very good rookie year I, I do think that in some ways he needs to take it up a notch in his second year these are some of the guys that that really come to mind for me in terms of guys that need to step it up
1: yeah I'm thinking so he said second or third year players so let me see here that gives me a little wiggle room Taki talkie. if mm-hmm. he gets an opportunity to to continue playing like he did last year they, they could certainly use a jump from him greedy Williams I mean he's kind of starting from zero again so that that would be a pretty big jump if he comes back and starts as that number two corner uh so i think i think they need to see that jump but really pretty much anybody oh here's one jordan elliott
0: yes yes jordan elliott
1: they're gonna need all the help they can get inside i think they sort of want to have that i think i remember i think it was andrew barry who after the draft last year mentioned that he kind of saw could have been Joe Woods. I don't remember. Somebody, somebody said to us that they saw kind of that front four is almost like a, a hockey line in a way you can change them out. Now, obviously miles Garrett is going to change out a whole lot, but you know, you kind of rotate guys in. So I think having as many guys on the inside that can create pressure is important. And I think Jordan Elliott belongs in this discussion for that reason.
0: Yeah, I think so too. I think the defensive tackle position is going to be very interesting. I'm, I'm anxious to see how it all works out. Malik Jackson brings, uh, just that tremendous uh, interior rush. And when he's on top of his game, he, he arrives with a, I don't want to say violence. He arrives in a hurry with a lot of explosiveness. And then, of course, you still have Sheldon Richardson in there and Jordan Elliott, Andrew Billings. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out. So there are plenty of candidates for this. There are plenty of candidates for guys that could and should step up in their second year. If we had to pick one, who would you pick, Dan? If you had to pick one out of all of them,
1: if I had to pick one to make a jump, I think I would go with I think I would go with Jedrick Wills.
0: Okay, that's a good one. That that's a good one. Um, I I would have I might have done that too, but since you did, I'm gonna go Jacob Phillips. That's a that's a position that um, you know they drafted him to be a starter. They really did when you, when you draft a guy in the third round by his second year, you really kind of want him to be in the starting lineup. And that's a spot. That's a position that they need to upgrade. They need that speed at linebacker and they need to be better there. So I'll go with Jacob.
1: Okay. I did find the quote. It was Andrew Barry. So I did get that part, right? He said, uh, as far as depth on the line, I think if you look, and this was after the draft last year, I might've been during the draft. I think if you look at what San Francisco did last year, and even what Steve Wilkes did with the Browns last year, this was obviously in 2020. The defensive line, they are almost like hockey lines. We're really past the days where you just play your starters, and those are the only four guys that play. So they want to have lots of depth on that line. Okay, next one. This comes from Rick in Rochester, New York. There are a couple questions here about the offense. So Rick in Rochester, New York says Hey, Mary Kay, does having the same head coach, the same offensive coordinator, the same offensive system, and the same players as last year create the possibility of having an unstoppable? Point scoring machine, which would be a great band name, the unstoppable point scoring machine.
0: <laughs> well, it certainly lends itself to being explosive and high scoring right from the start. I mean, when you looked at what they were able to do in the second half of the season, there were times when they were scoring at will and they felt like they could go into any game and score 35 points, maybe 40. I mean, that's what it started to feel like. But I also think, uh, you know, that. that in some cases, they were playing defenses that weren't that great, and defenses that were giving up a ton of points. So I think that, that that's a factor. But with Odell coming back, with Kevin Stefanski knowing how to use Baker Mayfield now, with the whole varsity returning, uh, and with possibly adding to that in in some ways, I do think that these guys will be capable of just lighting it up on any given Sunday, and that defense is better. Be ready to come to play uh, because this is going to be a really, really hard offense to stop. And another reason why it's going to be hard is because Kevin Stefanski has charged his entire offensive staff, his whole staff, really. But let's just talk offensively right now. He's had those guys go out, learn new things, come back with new schemes, find something different out there, come back with a wrinkle. And I think you'll see more of a Kevin Stefanski stamp on the offense this season. I think he'll bring ideas in from Chad O'Shea, who won Super Bowls with the Patriots. I think he'll bring more ideas in from Bill Callahan, who is just so accomplished in his career. Same thing with Alex Van Pelt, Stump Mitchell, and everybody else on that offensive staff. I think that you will see a, you know, just a whole different vibe, and I think they're going to have fun with it. I mean, you saw in games last year where they were just almost toying with people, right? Hey, let's throw a touchdown pass to Kendall Lamb. I mean, they were just... <laughs> like having their way with defenses. And I think it's going to have more of that vibe this year.
1: So I'm glad you said that because this leads us to Gary in Los Angeles. His question. Hey, Mary Kay, how do you envision Kevin Stefanski's offense evolving in year evolving in year two? Now that Baker has a good handle on it, how will things look different if he has all of the attacking options?
0: I've been saying this, and I will continue to say it. I think he had to be very Gary Kubiak oriented last year. They didn't have time uh, to bring in all the different elements and the different influences. They kind of had to hit the ground running with what they knew. And it's also what they did in Minnesota the year before, instead of like making everybody figure out all new terminology, they just went with the Gary Kubiak plan when Kevin Stefanski was calling the plays there in 2019. So in 2020, when he came here, look, all of a sudden there was a a pandemic, everything was shut down, Everybody scattered. So they ran what they knew and what they could pull off. I think there is so much more there. I'm so impressed with this coaching staff. I think these guys are really super smart. It reminds me of the Bill Belichick coaching staff when he was here. It's a bunch of really, really good, creative, smart guys. So therefore, I think you'll see... More three wides, if they've got three really good wide receivers, I think you'll see more of that. Uh, I think you will see and should see more of Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb on the field together. Maybe that means Kareem Hunt playing some different positions uh, that he didn't play before or lining him up in ways that he didn't before. Two backs in the backfield, you know, I mean, whatever. Uh, There's so many different things that you can do with those two guys. I think you'll see more of that. I just think that, you know, it's the the possibilities and the combinations are endless. And now, I mean, now they know what Baker Mayfield can do and can't do, and and I think that they're going to have a whole lot of fun with it
1: this year. I I mean, I'll I'll tell you this: I I texted this out on Friday to our texters. Uh, I've, I've been working on a story that's involved me talking to a number of assistant coaches, and I'm it just blows me away talking to these guys. Like Mm -hmm. when when you ask them about what it's the culture there and people should be excited about this staff. It's a really smart staff, a good mix of veterans and young and upcoming guys. People should be very excited about the potential of this staff. A couple questions about Grant Delpit and greedy Williams, bud from San Jose had one. And Brian from Bloomington, Indiana had one. We'll read Brian's. Hey, Mary Kay, I'd like to hear how the rehab is going for both Grant Delpit and Greedy Williams. Will they both be ready by week one?
0: Well, I keep hearing great things about both of those guys. I've asked several people after I did the interview with with Greedy Williams and he was able to get uh, that shoulder firing during his test that week. Uh, And I've talked to several people to say, is this true? Is this this really going to happen? And the answer keeps coming back, yes, on him. So hopefully for him, that is the case. They do have some backup right now in Troy Hill being able to start there if they need him to for some games, a few games. Uh, So they have that. I think they will continue to look for cornerbacks in the draft. But everything that I hear, it is supposed to be all systems go for Greedy Williams, and we have seen Grant Delpit on social media, and he looks amazing, right? He looks absolutely amazing for coming off of a ruptured Achilles. It looks like he's running full speed. Uh, he just looks like he's either on track or ahead of schedule. And for, from everything that I hear, they are expecting him to be a day one starter. Now, once again, having said that, they they went out and they got John Johnson, and you know, they're they have somebody that in the event they need him to be their starter for a while, he can be, but that's not the plan. The plan going in is for Grant and greedy to be in that starting lineup.
1: Okay. Here's another question. This is about another injured guy and I'm actually really excited about this question because I think it's really interesting. Uh, A player who got hurt late in the season is not currently under contract. Ty in Montreal wants to know, Hey, Mary Kay, what are the odds of Olivier Vernon being fit to play by playoff time. And I find that intriguing because a part of me might've even said this on a pod. A part of me thinks it's really interesting to just sort of say, Hey, Olivier, if you're healthy in December, cause he got hurt in the last game. So that, that might even be a little ambitious for, you know, he's 30 years old. So it might be a little ambitious for an Achilles injury, but if you're healthy in December, you can never have enough pass rushers. You want to play a few snaps in the playoffs might not be a bad thing.
0: Yeah, I really, really liked Olivier Vernon as a player last year. He really came on strong. Anytime he's been healthy for the Cleveland Browns, he's been really good, really solid, uh, and he just does his job really, really well. And when they needed him to step up and come through with even with sacks last year, when Miles Garrett was ailing coming off of COVID-19, he stepped up and he did a phenomenal job. He ended up with nine sacks in the last like nine games of the season that's pretty phenomenal i mean then you're talking about a uh, 16 sack pace there right uh so so that was really good uh and it was really unfortunate that he ended up with the ruptured achilles because i think he would have been back i think they would have resigned him i really do uh i and i it was headed that way so i would be all for them bringing him back i know they really like him and he loved it here this was you know He found a home here. Sheldon Richardson found a home here. They were just a good fit. They were a good fit in the locker room. They were a good fit on that defensive line. I'd be for all for them bringing him back and helping out this team from a leadership standpoint. And from a, uh, you know, just from a football standpoint, if he can come back from that ruptured Achilles and it would be a happy ending for all if they could make that
1: happen. Yeah. I think it would be great. And you know, look, I'm, I'm assuming, he, I don't know how often he would be in Cleveland. He's a veteran, so maybe he would want to rehab someplace else. Maybe he'd want to come to Cleveland and rehab. But either way, I just think there's something intriguing about that idea of, like, let's just get this guy on the roster, whatever you need to do, and if he can help you in January next year, you know, why not? Why not take that chance? So we'll, I guess we'll kind of see what happens there. Or maybe they just say to him, hey, just just chill out. Let's check back in in October or November and start talking contract. But I don't know. That's something that I wouldn't rule out if I were the Browns. Okay. Last one here. This is from Dan in Virginia, apparently a member of the DC Browns backers. And look, we couldn't, we couldn't do a Hey Mary Kay this week without some sort of question pertaining to Hugh Jackson. (laughs) Hey Mary Kay. What does the alternate universe look like where Hugh Jackson John Dorsey, and Paul D. Podesta are still together.
0: Well, I will tell you that when they first put them together, I told a member of the Browns organization that it was never going to work. Uh, it was very obvious right from the start. Before they all set foot in the building together, you know, I, I, I just said, this is this is doomed to fail. And I've said that about mostly every other regime except for the current one. When they put this one together, I told that same member of the organization, this one is going to work, okay? Because this makes sense to me. You can't put together different football families and different football philosophies and different personalities and expect it's going to work out. I never thought that that was going to work. And I I just don't think that there is a universe uh, where the, where they could all function together and be successful. There, were, were, there was just too many things about it that were too different, too much conflict. And how was the question phrased again?
1: Uh, what does that alternate universe look like where Hugh and Dorsey and Depot are still together? It probably doesn't look very good.
0: <laughs> no, no, it, does, it doesn't look very good. Now, the one thing that I will say One thing that happened, and I wrote a little bit about this today, is Dorsey and Hugh Jackson together drafted Baker Mayfield. They did not draft Sam Darnold, okay? And as we saw today, we're taping this on Monday, as we saw today, Sam Darnold was traded from the Jets to the Panthers for three draft picks, the highest of which was a second rounder next year. He was drafted number three overall by the Jets. Now, you've got to give John Dorsey and Hugh Jackson some credit for standing on the table and and making sure that Baker Mayfield was the pick, okay? Now, they might not have gone wrong with Josh Allen either, okay? That was another quarterback that they could have drafted, but chances are they may have gone very wrong if they had drafted Sam Darnold. So you've got, to, you've got to give them credit for, for making that pick because what it looks like right now is that the trajectory that Baker Mayfield is on, he should be able to take this team to the playoffs on a consistent basis over the next how many every years and maybe even get them into a Super Bowl. And that's what you want. So let's give them credit for doing that because if you recall, Dan, and I know you do, there was a lot of pressure to take Sam Darnold in that draft. That's what most people wanted them to do. And most people thought that they would do. And it really was, it almost kind of rocked the NFL world when John Dorsey took Baker Mayfield number one that year.
1: Yeah, it was funny. I was doing regular mock drafts that year. I don't remember how often, but it was pretty often. And every single one I, I would put Sam Darnold number one. And then I did do one really random one that was like, what if they took Baker Mayfield number one, that was like the only what if. They, yeah. they do this, but it was just, you started to get the sense, I think, going along that this could be a real possibility, like early in the process, you didn't think there was a chance, but then as it just, as the draft got closer and closer, I know you, you certainly sensed it, Yes, and I kind of started to feel that way too, like this could be real, Baker could be the guy.
0: Yes, and I don't think many people wanted to believe that that maybe I think people wanted to believe that maybe Baker Mayfield would just sort of smoke screen or, you know, that they were just trying to throw people off and they kept it close to the vest all the way right up until the end, because even like up until about the day or two before the draft, I still thought that it was possibly coming down to Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen and that they were really kind of serious, but that was more the smoke screeny part of it, that they were sort of, you know, making it seem like perhaps they were going to take Josh Allen. Uh, but then you come to find out, you know, through later interviews that, you know, that John Dorsey basically said, "Oh no, mm-mm. I knew the previous October that Baker Mayfield was the guy," and and Hugh went along with it too. I mean, he was completely on board with Baker Mayfield by that. He did not think that Sam Darnold uh, was going to be the right pick. It, they didn't have to try to talk him out of Sam Darnold. He didn't really like Josh Allen, uh, but they. They didn't have to talk him out of Sam Darnold. He was all 100% on board with the Baker Mayfield plan by the time they got to draft day.
1: John Dorsey was sitting in his bunker the whole time, falling in love with Baker Mayfield where he ended up as, as the Browns GM. Okay. Uh, great questions. Everybody here for the Hey Mary Kay edition of the orange and Brown talk podcast. There was other one, other one, but I can't tell if it was serious or a joke. It was Hey Mary Kay. What are your thoughts on linebackers? And I think our buddy from the 212 area code just kind of wanted to throw a linebacker question at us because he knows we love talking about linebackers.
0: <laughs> well, we'll save that for the next time. Uh, yeah. Line- All right. Linebackers, love them. Can't live without them. <laughs>
1: Who doesn't love a good linebacker, right? All right, that'll do it for our Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. All these questions came from Football Insider subscribers, so head to cleveland.com slash Browns. Click that blue banner at the top of the page to get information and get signed up. Thanks, Mary Kay. Thank you.